What do you love about music? To begin with, everything. This is serious business here, man. We've got a mission. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Welcome to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. And uh, we're wishing you all a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, and we're here to help you Spend money. Well, and there's music loving friends of yours. Winter solstice, and there's Kwanzaa, and there, don't leave anybody out. Yeah, here. we're all inclusive in this show, and uh, we're going to be all inclusive about uh, some of the big box sets that have come out this season. You know, rock and roll people, as we are, are uh, probably leaving until the last minute the uh, the dreaded task of getting for a loved one a gift. And uh, this is the Annual Sound Opinions Gift Guide, because despite the fact that CDs are rapidly hurtling toward extinction, right, Greg? The, uh, the, the, so they the, tell us. Well, you know, the box set uh, thrives. You know, the fancy compilation of numerous discs with a nice booklet many, and, many and art and packaging. And, you know, it's the ready-made, one-stop shopping gift. Exactly. For the music lover. It's a quick way to uh, satisfy the music lover out there, and uh, it's a very pricey one. If you make a mistake, you look pretty bad on a number of levels. You've just given the, uh, your friend a lot of music that they don't want, and you've just spent a lot of money on it. Yeah, or you have asked Aunt Sally for some gift that you know you could have <laughs> really, you, you might have preferred the fruitcake. Exactly. But for 250 bucks, you don't want to go wrong. And that's exactly how much some of these uh, box sets cost this year, $250. You don't want to make a mistake. We're going to steer you right. We're going to tell you the best ones to get, and we're going to give you a couple to avoid this holiday season. Yeah, we're going to be all over the map. We've got a lot of music to play in a lot of different genres, some old classics, some underground favorites. All that and more on Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine I keep my eyes wide open all the time I keep the ends out for the tie that binds Because you're mine, I walk the line Johnny Cash is, of course, ubiquitous these days because of the biopic been about two years since he died, and uh, people are still trying to grapple with the musical legacy of The Man in Black, which is considerable and uh, w- would seem ideally suited to the box set treatment, although to really do it justice, uh, I think you need a 10-disc box set. Easily. The one that uh, is in the headlines most right now is called Cash the Legend. There's a separate one that just focuses on the early Sun recordings. There's been numerous other Cash boxes before. But the one with the big push because of the movie is Cash the Legend. Four discs. My problem with this box set is the way that it's organized. Disc number one, cannot argue with. It's called Win, Place, and Show the Hits. 27 of them in a row. Essential owning. Great stuff. 
The other discs, uh, I don't know. The last disc is him duetting with, in quotes, family and friends. Now, you know, to hear Johnny Cash singing with the Carter family, the legendary founders of country music, really, in this country that uh, represent his wife's family, that's killer stuff. But Johnny Cash singing with uh, Rodney Crowell or uh, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, I mean, come on. Not when there's so much other great Cash music in his discography. Disc number three, called The Great American Songbook. And it's got, you know, Johnny singing stuff like Old Shep, and I've been working on the railroad. Now, look, I think this is a guy, one of the all-time great voices in rock history. He could sing anything, mm-hmm. but I really don't need to hear I've been working on the railroad. Well, see, a lot you know? of that stuff, the problem with that, Jim, is that stuff has been divorced from the concept albums that he created around those songs. So right. individually, those songs sound kind of schlocky and a little bit cheesy. But in the context of these concepts, he, he did like seven in his career. Yeah. And they're pretty amazing pieces well, of work. Well, you know a lot about this. You wrote the uh, Rolling Stone Encyclopedia entry, wasn't it? Well, for, there was for... a the discography at the end of a, a book that they did on cash, basically a bunch of essays. And then they asked me to do the discography. And I had no idea until I got into it. I mean, this guy literally made hundreds and hundreds of albums. But now many people of our generation don't listen to Johnny Cash on album mm-hmm. in the same way they don't listen to Elvis that way. I mean, it, he's come to us through compilations. Yeah, absolutely. And this, of all the compilations that are out there, this is the first one that really is the most comprehensive and, and does a pretty good job hmm. of trying to touch on every phase of his career. That said, it's still very flawed. This box set short shrifts the work that he did at Sun Studios in Memphis with Sam Phillips in the 1950s, the same studio that produced Elvis Presley sure. and Jerry, Jerry Lee Lewis, Lewis Roy Orbison. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cash's work cannot be denied from that period. Well, and it also breezes pretty quickly through the stuff in his late career resurgence with Rick Rubin. Mm-hmm. Don't you think this is a box set for somebody who knows absolutely nothing about Johnny Cash, and this yeah. is just a little taste, a teaser, saying here's your introduction to Johnny Cash. You get all phases of his career, but you're going to want for more sure. after you, after the, you listen to this. This is the box set for Joachim Phoenix fans or, or Reese Witherspoon groupies. You know, I mean, really, it's not for cash uh, hardcore groupies. Nevertheless, uh, on Sound Opinions, we rate things on the buy it, burn it, trash it scale. So uh, when it comes to Christmas gift, you know, lump of coal, a uh, prize winner, a re-gift, what would you say? Buy it, burn it, trash it. You know, it's definitely not a buy it. I can't recommend it. This is a $50 version of that set. There's also a $250 version of this box set. What does that come with? Extra a CD and a DVD and a lithograph of cash. And it's yeah. a coffee table book that you could literally kill well, a, a little with. urn with some of his ashes or yeah, what? might as well be. Uh, you certainly could uh, lay somebody out with that book, <laughs> let me tell you. There's some good stuff on there, but, uh, you know, you got to throw in the caveat that this is not all the cash you're going to ever need. So uh, I'll have to say burn it for uh, the cash box. Yeah, I would say it's a burn it, too. I will tell you what my ideal cash gift is, my buy it for cash. Both box sets came out a couple of years ago. One is called Love, God, Murder, which is three discs of theme songs on each of those topics, one for each topic. And the other, if you put that together with Unearthed, which is the complete uh, collection of all of the late career recordings with Rick Rubin, in terms of his entire career, wouldn't be a complete gift. But boy, I'd be buying people a, a years-long supply of eggnog if I got those two for Christmas. <laughs> So, Mr. Cott, let's play a little of the legendary Man in Black. We're both fans, obviously. You wrote the book, or at least the discography to it. What is your all-time buried cash classic that you want to lay on our listeners? All right, I'm going to go a little deep here in this uh, box set. I'm not too impressed with the obscurities on it, to be honest with you, but I do like this track he did with U2 from their 1993 album, uh, Zeropa. Why did I let you pick this? Because you're a smart man. No, that's horrible. Look, man, U2 is not fit... 
to pick up the hem of Johnny's black pants. Well, what are you talking indeed, about? Indeed, uh, Cash blows them away on this track, but they wrote The Wanderer specifically for Cash, and he is like the four horsemen of the apocalypse riding in uh, in the middle of this song and, and sort of uh. make, taking it over. And that's what I like about it. Judge for yourself, it's The Wanderer. I think he soiled himself by hanging out with them. <laughs> Starring Johnny Cash on Sound Opinions. I went out walking with the Bible and the gun. The word of God lay heavy on my heart. I was sure I was the one. Now, Jesus, don't you wait up. Jesus, I'll be home soon. Yeah, I went out for the papers. Told her I'd be back by noon. Yeah, I left with nothing. Nothing but the thought of you. I went wondering. There's Johnny Cash hanging out with YouTube. Don't ask me why. The song's The Wanderer. Part of the stuff compiled on the new box set, Cash the Legend. A uh, burn it recommendation. Now it's Mr. Cott's turn for the next box. Tell you mama, tell you pa, gonna say my dog is so Mama, she don't do right. Ray Charles, we just mentioned Johnny Cash being much in the news because of his biopic. A year ago, it was Ray Charles' year with his biopic uh, starring Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx now has a new career as uh, a Ray Charles imitator. He uh, Yeah, it's interesting. He actually sings the hook on the new Kanye West album, Imitating uh, Ray Charles. That right. song, Gold Digger, that is Jamie Foxx doing Ray Charles in his 1950s R&B period. And that is what this new box set of Ray Charles' music is devoted to. Ray Charles, at his peak, pure genius, the complete Atlantic recordings, 1952 to 1959. This is a six-disc overview of basically his coming out party. Up until this point, he was a young piano player who was uh, infatuated with Nat King Cole. He wanted to sound like Nat King Cole. He was kind of a crooner, balladeer. And when he got signed to Atlantic Records in the early 50s by Ahmet Erdogan, the son of a Turkish diplomat who loved his jazz. And when he heard Ray Charles play piano, he said, I love this guy. He was thinking about Ray as sort of a jazz guy. Yeah, well, but Atlantic at that point was just on the cusp of becoming the all-time great right. R&B label. His recordings with Atlantic, with uh, Erdogan and Jerry Wexler uh, as the producer in the studio, have come to define what soul music means. Essentially a combination of gospel and R&B. That combination really hadn't been explored. The gospel chord changes fused with secular material. Mm-hmm. Instead of singing about God, you're singing about the fairer sex, about knocking boots you know, till midnight. It's all spiritual transcendence in the end. Exactly. And Charles was quite scandalous in, in that era for fusing those two ideas. Charles became a, a superstar in the 50s. He went on to make even more popular recordings in the next decade. But I think the real deal, the reason that Ray Charles endures 
and is remains an icon is because of this work that he did with Atlantic. And this is basically every recording he ever did with Atlantic. Well, this there's no denying that this is a very impressive box set. It basically comes in a uh, in a in a hinged shoebox with a little clasp on it. It's got a handle on it, doesn't it? Yeah, and you it's know. a phonograph. It's like a fake yeah, photograph inside it. Yeah, it's a fake it. phonograph. It's pretty amazing. Um, Greg, though, does this box succeed or fail because it's more focused on a particular time period and his particular genre of the birth of soul music? I've got to recommend this to the soul aficionado. It's a buy it if you love soul music, if you love Ray Charles. Otherwise, I'd stay away. Well, I would agree. But I'm mean, glad if you're it's looking there. For, for Ray's greatest hits, it's just to burn it. If you already know Ray and want to go deeper, definitely a buy it. Here's the groundbreaking moment, 1954, when uh, Charles went into the studio with that swinging, small combo, jazz-based band, and uh, just rocked the house. Um, I've got a woman on Sound Opinions. Well, I got a woman way over town that's good to me. It's not Kanye West's Gold Digger. It's Ray Charles' I've Got a Woman, 1954 classic. You're listening to our box set gift guide show for the Hanukkah and Christmas season on Sound Opinions. It's Chicago Public Radio. And Jim DeRogatis is next with a box set from the Talking Heads. Talking Heads, I Zimbra, first track from their third album, Fear of Music, with Brian Eno producing them. Talking Heads veering onto the African continent in the middle of their career. The Heads, of course, are one of the most consistent and creative bands that came out of the punk explosion of New York in the 70s. We're going to talk about another group from that same place and era a little later on in our box set show. There are two types of box sets, Greg. There are the sort that we've been talking about earlier with Johnny Cash and Ray Charles, which attempt to be either career overviews or uh, completist collections from a particular era of an artist's uh, career. And then there are all-in-one, one-stop shopping, entire albums collected in one box. The Led Zeppelin box set it includes all of their original albums in order in their entirety. Mm-hmm. Uh, so does the Black Sabbath. I think those are two of my very favorite box sets. I'd own the albums, but you know, like some of them I had on vinyl and they were getting a little road weary. Another mm-hmm. I had the CD. I have an early CD pressing and it's not very well mastered. So Jerry Harrison, the keyboardist of the Talking Heads, went in and remastered for 5.1 digital surround sound all of the Talking Heads albums. And how can you go wrong when you have all of their albums in one box? It's a plastic box that has on its cover embossed the uh, titles of every one of the songs that are included on the boxes. Now, this dual-disc concept is a mixed bag. 
On each CD, there's two sides. On one side is the album remastered by Jerry Harrison. On the other, the new 5.1 surround sound remix. I am not ashamed to say that despite listening to music for a living, I don't have a 5.1 surround sound (laughs) system. I don't know anybody who does. You know, I, I'm not an audiophile. I listen to music. I listen to it on the run, in the car, on a boombox, in, right. in my office, in the bathroom when I'm showering. <laughs> you know, it's like that audiophile stuff just drives me crazy. I was disappointed in the outtakes. Uh, I was expecting more rarities, more outtakes. I, I wanted to hear more of the working sessions for those classic albums like Remain in Light and uh, Fear of Music that they did with Eno. I would have liked to have heard what those sessions were like. And there's you get some sporadic glimpses of that in these uh, CDs, but not nearly not enough. enough to justify what I think is a pretty extravagant price. I mean, you could pay up, you know, 150 bucks for this box set out there, and I'm not sure it's worth 150 bucks. The liner notes are skimpy. I mean, you know, a couple of paragraphs from Dave Eggers. I'm sorry, you know? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to spend that kind of money to get, you know, that and kind of illumination. I, I didn't even know that he played cowbell during yeah. the African uh, Heads big band period. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a skimpy set. I concur completely. The first six CDs belong in your collection. If you're a fan at all of punk, post-punk music, you need to have those CDs. Well, especially we're at a time right now where the Talking Heads influence is coming out larger than ever. There's that band from New York that made a lot of uh, news in 2005, Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah. They desperately want to be David Byrne and the Heads circa mm-hmm. 77. Well, you've got bands like Radiohead referencing the Talking Heads sure. in terms of uh, influence. There's no doubt. Their music has a staying power. But I have to say, a disappointment, uh, this Talking Heads brick box set, uh, to my mind, is underwhelming. It could have been so much better. I would say if Junior on your shopping list discovered Clap Your Hands and Say Yeah and never heard the heads, then definitely buy this box set for them. It's a good buy it. Otherwise, it's a burn it at best. I'm going to play one of my favorite all-time head songs. You know, Talking Head 77 gets a lot of attention. It's a startling debut album. Great stuff. I love it. But the one I find myself coming back to all the time and consistently learning from is the second album, more songs about buildings and food. And the song that just slays me every single time I hear it is the concluding track on the album, The Big Country. As only David Byrne can do, a simultaneously loving and incredibly cynical look at the United States of America. Great stuff on Sound Opinions, Talking Heads. That's Talking Heads, the big country from the box set Brick on Sound Opinions. We're running down the box sets for the holiday season for gift-giving, the best, the worst, and the mediocre. We're going to be back with more on Bruce Springsteen, the Ramones, Billy Joel, in this next segment on Sound Opinions. It's Chicago Public Radio.
Twisted Christmas music from uh, the all-time champion of the genre, Mr. Andy Serzan. Our guest next week on Sound Opinions, he's going to play some of the greatest Twisted Christmas music of all time, some recent discoveries that have come from this year's disc. Andy Serzan's a uh, perpetual holiday elf on Sound Opinions. It's a <laughs> show much anticipated by many. That's next week. This week, we are doing our box set roundup last-minute gift guide for the music lover. I'm Jim DeRogatis of the Sun-Times. My partner is Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. And Greg, I can't believe you are going to inflict this on me. iconic title tune from an iconic record made 30 years ago on its 30th anniversary born to run has been re-released reissued as a one cd two dvd box set that jim even though you're sitting there gnashing your teeth pounding your fist there's blood dripping on the floor you're so upset about this i, if, I think if this I, is one of the uh, i'm wondering the, uh, if iconic is another uh, adjective for crap yeah no, it's not. And in this case, uh, if you're a Springsteen fan, you already know that this album is a great record. came out in 1975, simultaneously appearing on the covers of Time and Newsweek. Talk about hype. A record that justified the hype. Uh, went on to sell 8 million copies, established Springsteen as a major performer for the next three decades, and he consciously crafted a record that was sort of rooted in the sounds that he grew up with, uh, Phil Spector, Roy Orbison, the lyricism of Dylan. The mid-70s were a more cynical time, and uh, s- suddenly Springsteen lands this shot of dramatic, big rock and roll in the middle of that decade and, and well, really established himself as the next big uh, arena rocker. It's interesting to note that this record came out at the same time and place, roughly, as the Ramones' earliest recordings, Patti Smith's earliest recordings. Right. They're all gearing up at the same time and place. I would say that Patti Smith, the Ramones, other bands in the New York punk scene, which would soon explode, we talked about Talking Heads earlier, were looking forward, and Springsteen was looking back. I cannot believe you said, I believe, three times in that statement, he lived up to the hype with this record. You know, Springsteen, to me, is the most unjustly hyped artist in the history of rock and roll. You know, he was a, a backward-looking, <laughs> way overhyped, ultra-romantic Self-important, joyless, silly, joyless? nostalgic. Wow! Uh, I just yeah, you hate know that, Bruce that's not a word that I would have used for this record. I, I, there, I, there's a lot of joy in this record. I, you know, he was making a a, a movie without actually making a movie. No, he uh, wasn't. No, a, a, about a long summer night. No, you talk and, about uh, Phil Spector. And, what he was doing was taking leader of the pack and making it into a Dylan-esque self-important piece of poetry instead of a stupid little two-and-a-half-minute single. You know, leader of the pack is fine, right? But but it's silly melodrama. It, it's, a, it's teen melodrama. And I've said this to you before, and I will say it again, and I will fight anyone who disagrees with me, because I am from Jersey, and I am from the mean streets of Jersey. Oh, the mean City. streets you know, of he's, Jersey. He's from I'm the scared. He I'm grew scared. up in the burbs. You know, I was like, give me a break, man. Jersey City would have eaten him alive. Listen, 
Meatloaf was better than Bruce Springsteen. Shortly to follow the release of Born to Run would come a true classic album that actually lives up to the, all the hype that you're talking about. All right, so Bad Out of Hell. So if you're going to perhaps do, the most idiotic thing melodrama I've ever heard you say, go with Meatloaf. Meatloaf at least was a cartoon and it go was with fun Meatloaf. and it was stupid. You know, yeah. but I, I, Meatloaf is much closer I, as far as blowing up the '50s cliche into classic rock '70s excess. Meatloaf did it right. Springsteen did it badly. You haven't listened to this record in 30 years. The only That's thing not true. I got this record. I had to listen to it again and look at all the pictures of him with his stupid buff tank top T-shirt showing his muscles, <laughs> looking like Mr. Sensitive. Uh, the only thing, ah, the, only thing the only thing Meatloaf's good for is putting ketchup on. I just don't believe that you uh, would even equate an artist like Springsteen with Meatloaf. Uh, Springsteen is, is, is on the same level to me as Billy Joel, who we're going to wow. talk about soon, too. That's you heinous. know, a sh- unrepentant schlockmeister. That's true. Nowhere heinous. near, you, you know, ought to, the pantheon Mr. of rock Mr. Dirigatis, you ought to listen to the or watch the DVD that accompanies this set of his 1975 Hammersmith show. And while I would freely admit that Springsteen in his later years became a choreographed rock and roll arena act, in 1975 he was still very much an R&B guy. Who happened to be playing rock and roll? He was a bar band guy. That sense of R and B is still in that 1975 show. There was no choreography in the show at this point. It was still a kicking band. He didn't realize what he could do on a stage completely at this point yet. He was still figuring it out. Yeah, but you're and, talking and the about the band was still going for broke. You're on talking these songs. about a DVD extra that's part of the padding to this album, which has been blown up into a box set. I mean, first yeah. of all, you know, single albums do not deserve to be blown up into a box set. I didn't like it with Pet Sounds, which I consider one of the all-time masterpieces. I sure don't like it with Born to Run. No, the DVDs you know, that a, are... A one album does not a box set make. The DVDs, though, there's two DVDs accompanying this. Well, one on, one on the making of the record, which is sort of like uh, watching a movie about the making of sausage. You maybe don't really <laughs> want to know how something was made. But the DVD of the performance from 75 is really, uh, it's manna for, for Springsteen fans. There's not much live recorded material from this period, certainly not on DVD. And this is an entire show when he was just sort of developing this band, this E Street band. It it had gone from its earliest incarnations and brought in a bunch of new members like Roy Bitten, uh, Miami Steve Van Zandt. These people were new to the band at this point. To see Van Zandt in the booklet here that accompanies it, there's like a million pictures in this booklet. To see him with that stupid do-rag on (laughs) his head 30 years ago. I mean, the guy looked like a putz in 1975. He really looks like a putz today, and it's impossible to even see him outside of being, you uh, you know, the Sopranos mobster. You watch Springsteen and Van Zandt shouting the vocals at each other on She's the One. And that DVD. And you're leaving Clarence Clemens out. And you're thinking, what an amazing moment. What an amazing rock and roll moment. You look me in the eye and you tell me, in all honesty, that Clarence Clemens isn't the worst cheesebo, horrible, most awful saxophone player in the history of rock and roll. You know, he wants to be King Curtis, and nothing wrong with that. This is a great R&B band at this point. You're just unrepentant, man. You're religious about it. It's like, you know, thou shalt not question thy Bruce. You know what? This album came out at a time when, for someone like myself, who did not grow up in the 50s and 60s, this was kind of like a a reminder of, oh yeah, maybe this is what people were talking about with like the Stones and people like that. When they were first coming up, and there was a sense of, Hey, this stuff's important. This stuff can change your life. I felt like that when I heard this album for the first time. I was a yeah. teenager, and this album made a difference to me. Yeah, the and Ramones a lot of other first people. album did that for me. <laughs> I heard the Ramones and album, and I felt I'm the same with thing. That, yeah. I, I heard the Ramones album six months later, but I don't see why you have to 
love one and hate the other. To my mind, Springsteen was making the same kind of dramatic uh, statements that the Ramones were making, but uh, on a totally different plateau. He, was, right, well, he was more R&B. Uh, go ahead, play your Springsteen. Let's get on with it, and then get <laughs> some good music on Sound Opinions. All right, here's one of the most moving songs from the Born to Run album. It's Backstreet's It's Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio. Backstreet's from uh, Bruce Springsteen, the Born to Run box set that I love, Jim Hates. It's a buy it for me. Trash it for you, Mr. Uh, Dirigatis? It's a trash it. You know, I mean, I could defend burning Born to Run in its original incarnation, but as I said, I feel about Springsteen basically as I feel about Billy Joel, Schlockmeister. Now, see, there, there you're all wrong. Well, it's nine o'clock on a Saturday. Drinks are going fast. There's an old man sitting next to me, regretting the time that has passed. We've got two kinds of bombast here. We've got good bombast. We've got good B-movie shtick, which is what Springsteen did on Born to Run. And then you've got a guy like Billy Joel, who I think is a hack. Uh, the meatloaf comparison is very apt here. Now we get a box set, a four-CD, one-DVD package of Billy Joel's outtakes, of all things, <laughs> called <laughs> My Lives. Just this big schlocky box complete with the, the cover drawn by his daughter, Alexa Ray Joel, or painted by his daughter, which makes him look even worse than he actually does. You talk about box sets that never needed to be made. Here is $60 that you will flush down the tube unless you are a just die-in-the-wool Joelaholic and have to have everything the guy owned, and I mean everything. There cannot be everything such a the thing. guy recorded. Uh, there isn't such a person, is there? 
I, I believe there are, unfortunately. Uh, otherwise, why would they put this out? I mean, to my mind, it, it's one of those things that illustrates the death of the box set. Here's the reason why we don't ever need to see another box set. What do you mean by outtakes? So what, what, what kind of crap are they unleashing on people? It's just outtakes, just rarities. We're talking about examples of, from Joel's early career before he was famous, quote-unquote, when he was trying to be a, sort of a brill-building R&B singer, when mm-hmm. he was trying to be a heavy metal act. I mean, he had a heavy metal band called Attila. That should tell you enough right there. Uh, we just heard that awful reverb-drenched demo for Piano Man. Uh, you know, the Piano Man song is awful enough, but uh, with all that reverb attached to it. I don't know if I hear much it, difference between that and Rosalita. Whoa, I don't know. Springsteen. See, Rosalita is a fun, joyous <laughs> no, no, we, We're fighting R&B about Joel song. now. No more fighting about Springsteen. I think if there's any uh, argument you need why not to buy this box set, I think they will be answered when we play this next song. This is one of Billy Joel's most famous songs, one of his biggest hits, Only the Good Die Young. But here is the reggae version of Only the Good Die Young. <laughs> These are the kind of joys you're going to find he on this box set. He just did this as, as a lark to see how it would feel in the reggae it's idiom? proof positive that guys from Long Island just shouldn't do reggae. Billy Joel on Sound Opinions, it's Chicago Public Radio. Come out, Virginia, don't let me wait. Catholic girls start much too late. Sooner or later it comes down to fate, and I might as well be the one. Showed you a statue and told you to pray They built you a temple and they locked you away They never told you the price that you paid For the things that you might have done Only the good die young That's right Wow (laughs) You know what? He showed some restraint That song stayed in the can for 25 years But no, it's back on the My Lives box set of Billy Joel. I think it's safe to say, Jim, that's a double trash it from Mr. DeRogatis and myself. And now on to a box set that we both heartily endorse. This is Rock and Roll Radio. Come on, let's rock and roll with the remote. That, of course, is Do You Remember Rock and Roll Radio by the legendary Ramones. One of the most important bands America has ever produced, bar none, period. End of story. Weird Tales of the Ramones, a new box set on Sire Rhino, three discs of music, another set of music on DVD, all the Ramones music you'd ever want to own. Maybe a little too much, but it's the bonuses in this box set that make it great. When I say too much, there is one of the all-time best best-ofs in rock history called Ramones Mania. It's a nice, short, sharp shock with 30 tracks of Ramones. This has a lot more Ramones music, some 70 tracks, and as I said, the DVD, a fourth disc with a lot of live videos. Sort of disappointing because I would have rather have seen the Roger Corman film Rock and Roll High School included as that DVD. Yeah. But... 
the comic book, Greg, is what you've got to buy this for. <laughs> you have a 54-page full-color comic book that has 26 of the coolest underground artists in history. Now, the Ramones, you know, are part and parcel of an entire cultural aesthetic, a way of dressing, a way of thinking, a political mindset, certain kinds of drugs. They did, in fact, pay homage to sniffing glue. You know, we're not talking the cocaine disco era. The Ramones pretty much put their stamp on punk rock, defined it, defined everything that it meant, and underground comics were part of that. So you have people like John Holmstrom, who was the founder of Punk Magazine, or Bill Griffin, who did Zippy the Pinhead, Jamie Hernandez, the Hernandez Brothers, who did Love and Rockets, Sergio Aragonese of Mad Magazine. All of these people and more pay homage to the Ramones with comic strips, which I think is the perfect way to pay tribute yeah. to, to one of the great all-time punk band. 3D sunglasses. I mean, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Uh, I, I yeah. love the way they, they comment. It's a commentary on, on liner notes. Uh, yeah. Most box sets have liner notes written by pompous critics and uh, you know historians of pop culture, and the Ramones said, screw that. We don't need any history of the band. These comic books tell it a lot better than any writer ever could, and they're absolutely right. I think this should win some kind of a Grammy Award for best liner notes in, in, in a box set package. Uh, far and away the most illuminating history of the band I've ever read. In comic book form. <laughs> exactly. You know, you, you've even got uh, Simpsons creator Matt Gronig in here. It, it, it's classic stuff. There's a great strip in here. It's got my hero Lester Bangs interacting with the Ramones. And as I said, you can't go wrong with the three discs. If anything, it's just too much. But I don't know. Is there such a thing as too much Ramones? It's like eating M&Ms or potato chips. I think you're talking about one of the cornerstone bands in rock history. I don't think there's any question that of the top five rock bands in history, whatever order you want to name them in, the Ramones belong in that top five. This is a buy it box set. No two ways about it. Weird Tales of the Ramones. Three CDs, one DVD, and one kick-butt comic book. Yeah. I mean, it's the perfect Ramones package. I think one of the best box sets ever done. Well, we're going to play one of the best singles in rock history. Sheena is a punk rocker. This is the ABC Records single uh, not the album version. Simply put, if you do not like this song, you don't like rock and roll. <laughs> I mean, it's just just that simple. It should have been a hit single. Yes. It should have done in America what the Sex Pistols' God Save the Queen did in England, brought the Sex Pistols to number one on the charts. This should have been America's version of that. It didn't happen, and I think American radio went wrong ever since, increasingly, except for sound opinions on Chicago Public Radio. No. is a punk rocker by the Ramones, one of the greatest singles in rock history. A double buy it for Weird Tales of the Ramones, the box set, uh, both Greg Cott and myself, Jim Deergottis, highly recommend. We're going to come back and talk about more box sets here on Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio, including some packaging. 
Sometimes the package is better, <laughs> it's better than, than the music than the inside. But, you know, hey, that's kind of what Christmas is all about. You know, you get a Tiffany's box, you put something from Target in it, and she'll love you. Later on, speaking of great music, Jim is going to pop a quarter in the Desert Island jukebox. Last week, Mr. Cotton and I did our top ten albums of 2005, ran them down on the show. We want your sound opinion. What was the best album of 2005? Have you got one that we missed? Do you agree with us on one of them? Tell us what music you loved in the last year. Call the Sound Opinions hotline, 888-859-1800, and we're going to put together your input, give your thoughts on the show coming up soon. We'll be back on Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. That is the Shirelles, classic girl group from the 60s with Please Go Away. Girl group sounds, lost and found, gets the award hands down for the best packaging of a (laughs) box set this year, this holiday season. I don't even know if it's correct to call it a box set because it actually comes packaged in a round, fake hat box. It really is an impressive looking package. Give that as a gift. Somebody's going to think they got the goods until they get home and start to examine the box set. Right off the bat, the biggest problem is how do you do a box set on girl groups and not include anything recorded by Phil Spector, the architect of the genre? Rhino Records could not get rights to any of the Spector recordings, so none of those famous wall of sound recordings that Spector did with the girl groups are included. What you have is uh, 120 second-tier girl groups. Some of them are classics, for sure, but after a while, as you start to get into the second, third, fourth discs, you get to have this sugar overdose, or maybe you've been huffing a giant economy-sized can (laughs) of hairspray because it really starts to be too much. There's all these bands, the cookies, the Cinderella's, the honeys, the honeybees, the goodies, and you're like, not another set of chirpy harmonies. It starts to drive you crazy. There's only so many ways that you can sing about a boy who done me wrong, especially in this pre-feminist subservient era where the girls are all too willing to sit there and take crap from these boys who done them wrong. Then you get into some second-tier weird inclusions on this set. People who aren't girl groups at all. They're, they're just girls, period. The model, Twiggy, Mary Wells on her own, Dolly Parton, and Cher trying to ape the girl group sound. Clearly, this was a fascinating time in pop music history. There was a lot of great music, but I don't know if it justifies four discs. No way. The Shirelles, the Shangri-Las, the Giants of that era, the Ronettes. The Spectre stuff, yeah. A sprinkling of that stuff is here, but not nearly enough of it to justify a four-CD box set. A lot of mediocrities, a lot of one-hit wonders and would-be one-hit wonders. You know, you're talking about the girls uh, sort of subservient to the boys. There's some lame attempts at sort of like pre-riot girl teeth gnashing. There's a group called the What Four that had a song called I'm Gonna Destroy That Boy. Mm -hmm. But then you listen to the song anticipating something 
some like bikini it kill. It doesn't sound like that at all. Right, no, punk no. Uh, song, and it's this saccharine kind of ballad, and you go, wow, this is kind of schlocky stuff. It, it gets tiresome after after four CDs worth of that stuff. The oddities don't justify the price. It and sure not, is a nice box, A great though, huh? concept. I think there is a great girl group box set to be made, but uh, the licensing issues prevented it this time. Here's one of the uh, the weirder tracks. Dolly Parton trying to sound like a girl group with a song called Don't Drop Out on Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio. Don't drop out a strange footnote from the career of Dolly Parton where she was trying to imitate a girl group. Wow. Very strange. I'm going to shift decades entirely. I pulled into Nazareth, feeling about half past dead. Just need to find a place where I can lay my head. Mr. Right, that's the band with the weight uh, from a comprehensive, and I mean comprehensive, box set of uh, the band's history. It's called A Musical History. Five CDs, one DVD, tons and tons of unreleased stuff, 37 tracks that have been rarely heard or never heard in amongst the 111 songs that are included on this box set. This eclipses the uh, earlier box set that came out in 1994, Across the Great Divide. That was a relatively skimpy three-CD set, Jim. It was just, well, had, you know, paltry compared you to You just got to wonder. You, you got to wonder. These major labels have become so adept at consistently selling us stuff that we've bought in different versions in the past. Was there a plan back then that they say, this is yeah. halfway towards the Ultimate Box set, and then we got to leave something more for when we go back to the vaults later on? I think this was an attempt by the band to sort of reclaim their history, and specifically Robbie Robertson, because I know there was a couple of biographies. LeVon Helm wrote an autobiography of his history of the band. These were not particularly pleasant overviews of the band's history. They described the infighting that racked the band in its later years, and certainly in the posthumous era, after the band broke up in 1976 with The Last Waltz, that final concert in San Francisco that was turned into a Martin Scorsese movie, there was a lot of bloodletting about songwriting credits. Robbie Robertson claiming most of the songwriting credit for most of the band's songs, and the other band members Mm -hmm. who sort of viewed it as a collaboration, feeling that they were sort of left out in the cold by this. Well, that was the hype, that this was a collaboration. You know, Dylan with one of the most talented backing bands of all time. Now, you're saying that Robbie Robertson, who, (laughs) I gotta tell you up front, I consider one of the most despicable figures 
figures in the history of rock. I mean, what a raging egotist. Huge impediment for me getting into the music of the band because I hate him. So you're saying he's controlling this. So what kind of a hagiography is this? What well, kind of a self loving portrait. It's a book. You're not only getting CDs, but you're getting a book here. Rob Bowman. It's complete uh, with one of them little fancy red ribbons. Yeah. Look at that. I mean, this is like, uh, you know, a coffee table book, and it's basically an attempt to write the band's history, an authorized history of the band. Clearly, Robertson had quite a bit of input into how that was written, and quite a bit of input into the selection of the tunes. I like the fact that the music here is comprehensive, that there's a lot of stuff here from the early era. The first disc alone basically chronicles the band before it was known as the band. It was when they were the Hawks, It was when they were known as the Hawks. First with Ronnie Hawkins, then it was LeVon and the Hawks, and then uh, finally the touring band with Bob Dylan on one of the most famous rock tours of all time is a 1966 electric tour of England. So all of that stuff is documented pretty comprehensively on the first disc. There's four more That's all on the on first disc. Sh- it's amazing stuff. The music from Big Pink al- album and the, the band album, the self-titled mm-hmm. band album, those are two cornerstone moments in, in rock history. Now, the basement tape's one of the most famous bootlegs of all time, mm-hmm. which was Dylan and the band jamming in the basement of the house where he was living in, in Woodstock. Woodstock, New York. Uh, how's that represented? They, they've got tracks from that as well. Uh, that sort of lost summer where Dylan basically dropped out after his motorcycle accident mm-hmm. and uh, spent uh, 67 and then 68 Woodstock shedding with the band a lot of that stuff is on here there's stuff from the later years the later albums that are represented well actually including some outtakes that i didn't make some of these albums that uh, are kind of illuminating robbie robertson sitting at the piano and and working out some songs like twilight which is referred to as a song sketcher and is really quite a beautiful little song that never actually surfaced on an official so band album. So this is where Robinson puts his stamp on, you know, putting the spotlight on himself as the auteur. Here's how I the wrote band. these songs, but right, it, it, right, but 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 when you've got the rest of it being so comprehensive and so all inclusive, so much music, you do see the other guys' talents, and and it's not the Robbie Robertson show. You you can't uh, mistake the fact that they had three great vocalists. In fact, mm-hmm. Richard Manuel singing on the early part of this disc, where he was sort of in a Ray Charles phase, is, is simply amazing. LeVon Helm, a great singer. And yeah, I was Danko, gonna, hey, another great singer. Greatest singing drummer of all time. LeVon Helm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I, you've I'd be go hard there. pressed to find another. Maybe Phil Collins, but only in Genesis. Absolutely. Anything he sings on, he makes it his own. What are you going to play? You're digging deep for something more obscure from this. What, what is the proper title? The proper title is A Musical History, The Band. And uh, The Band was indeed one of the great bands in rock history. In 1966, they backed up Dylan, and they were booed because they were playing electrified music when Dylan was supposedly still a folky, and that Mm -hmm. wasn't allowed by the folk purists. In 1974, Dylan and the band reunited, and it was a triumphant tour. Everybody was talking about... One of the fastest-selling tours in history. You couldn't get a ticket. They played 40 arenas around America, and here's a highlight from it. One of the 37 unreleased tracks on this comprehensive history of the band, a version of Highway 61 Revisited on Sound Opinions.
That's Highway 61 Revisited from Bob Dylan and the band from the box set A Musical History of the Band and an amazing track from the 1974 tour. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. A weekly feature of Sound Opinions is the Desert Island Jukebox. One of us pops in a quarter into the DIJ box and comes out with a record they can't live without. And this week, it's Jim DeRogatis' turn. Greg, I mentioned this disc in passing before. One of the all-time great compilation albums compiled in 1972 by Lenny Kay, who would go on to become the guitarist for the Patti Smith Band. At the time, he was a lowly rock critic, just like you and me. <laughs> Put out a disc called Nuggets, two vinyl album set, where he compiled some of the great one-hit wonder 60s psychedelic rock bands that had uh, flourished only at that point five years earlier. This was 72. That has spawned a generation of different collections. There was Nuggets and Pebbles and Boulders and all these different kinds of archives. Rhino in the box set era of recent years has uh, blown up the original two-album Nuggets set first into a four-disc collection of all the 60s one-hit wonder American bands, then into a multi-disc set of all the British one-hit wonder psychedelic bands, and now we have volume three, Children of Nuggets, original artifacts from the second psychedelic era, 1976 to 1996. I say all of this as an introduction because we're rolling right through into the Desert Island jukebox segment of the show with a uh, box set pick. This box set is a mess. It could have focused on the California Paisley Underground scene, which was one psychedelic revival. It could have focused on the East Coast garage bands. There were bands in England that were doing stuff, a lot of them coming from the mod world. This just kind of is all over the place, and it's a mess, and it it doesn't do it well. And this is music I loved because of bands like my Desert Island Jukebox pick tonight. Plasticland was a group that revolved around two longtime friends in Milwaukee in the early 80s, Glenn Reese and John Frankovic. These were real characters. These guys never fit in, and drawing attention to themselves by dressing in these elaborate English Edwardian outfits, sometimes you couldn't tell if they were men or women, and often would run for their lives on the streets so as not to get beaten up. Plasticland believed in the 60s version of Psychedelia, the swinging London, 1967 period, where it was all about flamboyant clothing and wonderful, ultra-melodic, highly orchestrated, kind of fruity sounds. You know, you had these English people trying to cover American R&B songs and putting this weird, surreal lens on them. Plasticland reclaimed that sound, brought it back to America, and a lot of their best songs kept the R&B underpinning, but added the kind of very colorful, day-glow, paisley, English psychedelic thing on top of it. Like this song, Mink Dress, which is included on the Children of Nuggets box set. Mink Dress follows in the great psychedelic rock tradition of Arnold Lane from the early Pink Floyd leader uh, Sid Barrett when he was writing about a transvestite. In Mink Dress, the guys in Plastic Land, these two guys in Milwaukee, are looking at a woman who's wearing this uh, weird mink dress, and they decide they need one too. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of great rock songs about transvestism. Here is my Desert Island jukebox pick. This is Plastic Land with Mink Dress on Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio. I saw a lady in a pink 
There you have Plastic Land with the song Mink Dress, my Desert Island jukebox pick this week. Next week on Sound Opinions, we'll have our very own Chris Kringle, Andy Surzan, playing the weirdest Christmas music ever made. Folks, if you have not heard this show in past incarnations of Sound Opinions, you need to listen. A lot uh, more info when, about that up on the website, too, absolutely. soundopinions.com. And speaking of more info, we want some more info from you, our listeners. We are looking for your picks for the best album of 2005. We're going to air some of your opinions on Sound Opinions. Give us a call at the Sound Opinions hotline at 888-859-1800. We have some people to thank. It's been another fun week at Chicago Public Radio. First and foremost, due to Tori Southside Malatia, our executive producer, Todd Bachman, our managing producer and director, Matt Spiegel, the inimitable, our producer, and our associate producers, Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio. Stay classy, Chicago. <laughs> <laughs>